Welcome to a very special Soul Traveller radio show, the first of our in-depth interviews with some of the industry's greats, a show we like to call The Insider Edition. This week's guest is a bit of a fan moment for me, an artist by the name of Tony O'Kay, who is recorded with the likes of The Crickets, Charlie Sexton, Brian Wilson, Dr. Dre and the legendary Burt Bacharach. Earlier this year, Burt Bacharach and Tony O'Kay released an album called Original Demos. We chat about this, his music career and life in the food chain. This is Soul Traveller Radio Show Insider Edition with Tony O'Kay. Welcome to Soul Traveller Radio Show's Insider Edition. I'm Shane Locke. And a big thanks to our sponsors, SwapIndustries.com, your one-stop website for audio and musical equipment. If you're looking for podcast gear through to speakers and cables for your music gear, then check them out. Worldwide delivery, SwapIndustries.com. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to be chatting with one of my all-time favourite singers, an artist who has just released a collection of songs with the great Burt Bacharach, demos from his 20-plus years of writing with Mr Bacharach. He was also a very influential conscious music artist of the 80s and 90s, penning songs like Impressed that became a worldwide hit for Charlie Sexton and Love Is, released by Brian McKnight and Vanessa Williams. Before we chat, however, let's listen to a song that kick-started his solo career and labelled him the funniest, serious songwriter in America, Life in the Food Chain. This is Soul Traveller Radio Show's Insider Edition with Tony O'Kay. While your mother was there to protect you Papa was out of provide So how in the world did the exit on baby wind up in this hotel So broken inside you lie on your bed in the midnight dark listening to every sound Watching the shadows or anything moving and hoping they don't come around
in the food chain Love among the ruins I guess that you finally come to accept It's just nothing you can do about it Kind of like carving the turkey Kind of like mowing the lawn Everything gets to this Tony OK, welcome to the Insider Edition. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> You're okay. Pun, now, you, pun intended, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got to ask the the question. Your 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 name was Steve Krikorian, or it still is Steve Krikorian, right? Right. Yeah. So how did you come up with Tony OK? Well, there's a Thomas Mann short story, Tony O. Kroger, which I really liked when I, you know, I, I stumbled or I didn't stumble on it. I was assigned it in a. a college level uh, uh, continental literature class hmm. and uh, so when it was time when everyone was changing their name and wearing dark glasses uh, <laughs> I, Krikorian was much too long a last name so I thought oh well uh, Tony Kroger no Tony OK because I like yeah. the initial K my name yeah um, Kazak from Kurt Vonnegut's work, uh, The Hound of Space. I don't know if you're familiar with Kazak, like yeah. from Breakfast of Champions and Sirens of Titan. And uh, K, the Kafka, K, and the Castle and the Trial and everything. Mm-hmm. Antonio Kroger. So well, there you go. put it all together, and there it was. And it seemed clever enough. And 40 years later, here I, yes. here I am. Still oh, being oh, called Tony O.K. or Senor K. Yes, and you're okay. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I did notice that there's a bit of a Spanish sort of um, a vibe that flows through some of your music, you know, especially with your mm-hmm. album Olay and even now with your with the new album that you you and uh, Bert Bacharach put together, um, Original Demos, it's only been released on a Spanish label. Oh, right, yeah, that label's in Madrid. Yeah. 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 What, any reason why you only did that and, and, and you're only you're limiting it to a 1,000 copies? Um, well, that's the the business model of that label in Madrid is uh, they release limited edition hard copy versions of obscurities, mostly demos like this from, you know, they did one on David Foster. They did, you know, they've done that kind of stuff and they're kind of in that area. That's, that's their musical uh, drift too is, is sort of, uh, I'm not sure what kind of pop you would call that, mainstream pop, I guess, mainstream old school pop music. And uh, I was actually talking to the guy, the guy that owns the label is an, an attorney in Madrid who uh, whose name is Gabriel Raya. And I was talking to him because he had gotten hold of me about another guy about this singer Warren Wiebe that he had heard uh, Bert and I or I might have a a demo of something this guy sang for us and he Mm. was releasing a record of Warren Wiebe's demo singing Mm. Warren Wiebe evidently was David Foster's favorite singer and he was a really a good singer very troubled guy kind of a uh, savant sort of now deceased 
But anyway, in the course of this conversation, I said, yeah, actually, you know, we did use them on something. And of course you can have it. I'll send it to you. Yeah. And then he said, well, uh, did you do any other demos with Warren? And I said, not so much. Mostly we used a guy named Billy Valentine, who uh, mm. was a friend of mine. And I turned Bird on to him. And he's a fantastic singer and blah, blah, blah. And he went, well, could I release those? And when I don't know, you know, Bert owns all these things. He paid for all these demos, many of which were recorded by, yeah. you know, Dion Warwick and Ronnie Isley and different people. But uh, I said, I'll run it by Bert. You know, I don't know, maybe. And Bert said, yeah, why not? What could it hurt? Let him do it. So, you know, I t Bert said, but you have to do it. I'm not going to mess with it. And I went, yeah. Yeah. So I picked the songs and I wrote the liner notes and, uh, you know, obviously Bert and I talked about it and he kind of signed off on it. But, uh, yeah. Now, some of these demos that you've got, and we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about it later on, but some of these demos have, have got, they include like Brian Wilson. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that was, yeah. I mean, I did. Did you get a copy of the booklet of that thing wherever no. you heard? Oh, see, I need to send you a hard copy then. Yeah. Because the booklet, I mean, I wrote extensive liner notes on all those songs on like, you know, where they came from, when they were to the best of our recollection. And yeah, the Brian thing, Bert called me up one day and whatever year it was and goes, uh, uh, hey, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to write a song with Brian Wilson. Um, you want to write the lyric? <laughs> It's like, gee, let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, I've, I've never written with him before. And I went, really? And he went, yeah, we were like, you know, at a Grammy dinner, you know, mm. not at the Grammys, but at some pre-Grammy soiree. And he said, we were like at the same table. And somebody said, what, you two guys have never written together? Wow, you got to write together. And Melinda, Brian's wife, followed up on it and got a hold of Bert, and Bert said, "Yeah." So, because Bert's, you know, Bert Bacharach is is one of the the greats. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. maybe Brian was feeling that you know privileged about the fact that he was writing with Bert Bacharach oh, instead absolutely. of the other way around. Yeah. Well one of the things I said to Bert is, well, yeah, of course, you know, are you kidding? Yeah, gee, let me think, you know. I said, but have you run this by Brian? Because I'm sure Brian, who I didn't know at all uh, prior to writing this song with him, I said, I'm sure Brian is tripping out on writing with one of his piano heroes, Burt Bacharach. You know, have you, you know, I'm not sure how he's going to respond to a third party in the room. And, you know, we've obviously heard rumors about he's a little eccentric, to put it politely. <laughs> and Bert said, well, yeah, I don't know. He said, you know, I don't write lyrics and he doesn't write lyrics anymore. And somebody's got to write the lyric and I mm. want you to. And I went, OK, well, you just warn him there's going to be a third party involved. Mm. And he did. And we did. And yeah, there's a great photo of the two of them in those liner notes that like I'm I'm sitting there as we're working on this song and I'm sitting, you know, this is actually not in Bert's music room. It was in the big kind of living room with all the Grammys and Academy mm -hmm. Awards and, you know, no pressure. All that's <laughs> on the mantle. And a, a, a second grand piano in the house. Wow. 
Wow. And so we're sitting in there because it's a bigger room and I'm in my chair with my, you know, yellow legal pad, just kind of scratching out thoughts as they're mm. working on this song. Like Brian had a, I think he had a chorus and he was, no, he had verses and he was hoping Bert would write a Bacharach chorus to these mm. verses musically. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm uh, literally scratching out ideas and thoughts and things that kind of work with the melody they're running down. And suddenly I realize I'm sitting here looking at Burt Bacharach and Brian Wilson sharing a piano bench. You know, when was the last time that happened? You know, never. Yeah. So I even said, and I've never done this. I've been around a lot of people in my life and career and, you know, mm. backstage and whatever, and literally never taken a picture. But I said, you know, Hey, you guys, I'm sitting here looking at Burt Bacharach and Brian Wilson sharing a piano bench. I've got to get a picture of this. Are you okay with that? And they went, yeah, of course. So the yeah. next day I brought a camera. I, I, I think I didn't have an iPhone at the time that took good yeah. pictures. Yeah. So. Well, let's take a listen to that song. It's, uh, um, it's called uh, What Love Can Do. Uh, right. And um, this is on the original Demos album. You can actually... Uh, uh, we'll have a link where you can actually buy the um, the album oh, from. Yeah, link up because I don't know where you buy it in the states, uh, let yeah. alone in Australia. I know you can buy it in Spain and sort of Western Europe at a few outlets. I've been told, mm. although it may be sold out by now anyway. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. uh, I believe it's uh, it's available worldwide. And I don't know how many copies there are left, but there was only a thousand of them printed. So, um, right. So uh, yeah, let's have a listen to what love can do. And when we come back, we're going to have a bit of a chat about um, some of your, your history, uh, the, uh, the albums that you produced in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. You've been <laughs> yep. pretty much every, de every decade, yeah. Yeah, 21st century. That's oh, yeah. it. I won't go away. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Tony O'Kay with Bert Bacharach and uh, Brian Wilson with What Love Can Do. You're listening to the Insider Edition. Somebody Tell me it's real I need to understand the way I feel Feels like I'm flying here No time for crying here
to the Insider Edition with Tony OK. I'm Shane Locke, and uh, we have Tonio here on Skype. How are you? I'm okay. You're okay. Now it's you're... the end of a beautiful day here in California. Beginning <laughs> of a beginning of a beautiful day in Australia. How's that? Oops. Actually, the the day be- I'm I'm actually ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. So it's even better today than what it is yesterday. <laughs> so uh, I'm, uh, let's have a bit of a talk about your your career. You, you started off as um, Steve Krikorian, and right. you were you were in a '60s band called the Rakes Progress. Yeah, the Rakes Progress. Yeah. That's right. Now from there you went and joined, uh, did a couple of albums with the Crickets, Buddy Holly's <laughs> band. Yeah, and yeah, my is, yeah. Yeah, did they they because you've had a bit of a, a a history with them too. I mean, I think they came back and and worked with you on another album later on, correct? Or well, I worked with two? them, um, you know, ten years ago on a on a record called uh, "The Crickets and Their Buddies," where I like to say that you know everyone from uh, everyone that had been affected by Buddy Holly and the mm. Crickets loved them mm. uh, from. Eric Clapton at one end of the fame and fortune uh, scale to me at the other end, uh, you know, J.I., the the remaining living original cricket who uh, J.I. Allison, Jerry Allison, Mm. his his girlfriend, then wife, then ex-wife was Peggy Sue, for instance. That's how far back he goes with the crickets. And he and Holly wrote that song. Um uh, he, uh, yeah, he just, somebody may, you know, offered to do a record and he called everybody up and said, Hey, you want to, 
you know, you want to sing this, you want to sing that, or what song do you want to sing? And mm. he asked me, do you want to sing Not Fade Away? And I went, duh. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah. I mean, having that having that background there with working with these incredible artists, um, you then went and, and started your own um, solo career. Did that yeah. have a massive effect on the style of music? I mean, we heard one of your songs at the beginning of the show. We had um, Life in the Food Chain. Did that really influence your style moving forward? Well, you know, the, the the crickets, I mean, you know, I was we were sort of, the Rex Progress was a proto-punk psychedelic group anyway. Mm. The crickets was, I mean, that was all music that, you know, I mean, I never told J.I. this, and I, I don't know, I guess you can put this on the air if you want, but mm. until I wound up, you know, sort of the uh, junior member of that band in the early to mid-1970s, I never realized that Not Fade Away was a cricket song because mm -hmm. I never had the Chirping Crickets album. I was too young to have bought that. I thought it was a Rolling Stones song because obviously it was the first Rolling Stones single in America. That's where I heard it. Mm -hmm. The point being is those guys had a tremendous effect on everybody and everything at the time. They yeah. were huge, particularly in England and Australia, actually. I know because yeah. I'm working on with a with J.I. right now on, on a book of his memoirs. Uh, you know, he's told me over the years all these stories. I mean, he told me and everyone else. I mean, there mm. are just stories circulating in that group that you just go, get out of town. What? Mm. Mm. You know? Mm. You you what? You met Elvis Wynn and you did what? Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Those guys were, they were there. They were one of the 20 people who invented rock and roll, basically. So, yeah, they, they definitely affected me. And the way, you know, the way, this is going to sound crazy, but the, the way I wrote, I started writing, like I was a, uh, I was a bass player. Mm. And just before getting into the crickets, being invited into the actual crickets, there was in Los Angeles, uh, somebody had the idea to put together a quote unquote, super group of LA session musicians, which included Hal Blaine, the drummer and Joe Osborne, the, uh, the bass player mm. and J.I. and Sonny and Glendy Harden, the piano player who was a cricket originally and then, uh, you know, wound up in Elvis's band uh, in the 70s. Yeah. But, uh, and my friend Nick and I were drafted into that as these hot young singer-songwriters. We're like 20 years old or something. And J.I. and Sonny Curtis had taken a shine to us. So they invited us in. But I say to J.I., J.I., wait a minute. Joe Osborne is the bass player in this band. What am I supposed to play? You don't need two. Do you know who Joe Osborne is? No, no. Uh, yeah, he well, he played on almost everything that came out of Los Angeles between the late fifties and the early seventies. He right. played on, you know, the Birds, the Mamas and the Papas, the. Yep. You know, Phil Spector stuff, half of it, uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, that's him playing right. bass on that. I mean, awesome, amazing, you know, historic bass player. Yeah. So I say to Jay, what am I supposed to play? You know, and Jay goes, oh, well, here, learn to play guitar. And he, he goes in his garage, gets this guitar case 
from a shelf in the garage, takes out uh, uh, this black Gibson J200 with mm. double yellowed pick guards, which had been Don Everly's guitar and the Everly wow. Brothers. And he said, hey, well, here, play this. You know, write some songs, play this. Here's, here's G, here's C, here's D, here's E, here's A, <laughs> here's the bar chord. Now, here, go learn to play guitar. So I did. And I started, you know, I probably wrote 50 songs in the next two months or something after that, none, none of which were used in this super group that also mm. had one single that never did anything. Mm. But at some point later, uh, I stopped by J.I.'s house, and he went, hey, have you written any songs with that guitar? And I went, yeah, as a matter of fact, I have, and played a bunch of stuff and wound up in the band. Wow. <laughs> here, you are, here you are playing with uh, with Don Everly's guitar. I mean, that's... Yeah, I learned uh, to play on Don. If you've incredible. got a copy of my, uh, uh, which you probably don't, most people don't, uh, the entire population of mainland China doesn't have my America album. <laughs> <laughs> But on the back of that album is my black 1950 Ford with that Don Everly guitar leaning up against the door. I have a digital copy of that America album, but I have, well, so I can't see the back. I can't see oh, the back. Oh, too bad. And that guitar, you know, at some point when the Everleys broke up, which we were actually there at Knott's Berry Farm the night they blew up and just about mm. killed each other and walked off stage. At some point right after that, like the next week or a couple of weeks later, apparently Don, who I met but didn't really know, um, called J.I. up and said, hey, do you still have that, that old black J200 I, I gave you? And, he, and J.I. went, yeah, of course. You know, he didn't tell me he had loaned it to me <laughs> two years earlier or a year earlier or whatever it was, yeah. two years earlier. And, and he said, Don said, so did I give you that or loan it to you? <laughs> And Jay, I said, no, you loaned it to me, man. He said, well, could I have it back? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling kind of sentimental now that we've broken up. He said, there's a new Everly model Gibson coming out. I'll give you two of those if you give me that guitar back. And Jay, I said, of course. So he called me up and said, well, got to re repo the guitar. And <laughs> made it back. <laughs> Yeah, and after Albert Lee became the other Everly Brothers, I don't know if you were aware of that, mm. but Albert mm. toured with Don for years. Don wound up giving him that same black J200, and he's still got it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the, yeah. history that, the history that guitar has seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, stick around. We'll be back with more on Soul Traveler Radio Show's Insider Edition with Tony O'Kay. Legendary Sam Q's Night Patrol is out now. Another day has gone. Your 
Soaked in bossa nova and Latin grooves, the highly anticipated Magnetic Lunchbox is now available to download from iTunes, Amazon and all good online music stores. The Magnetic Lunchbox from Sam Cresci. Out now. Welcome back to Soul Traveller Radio Show, Insider Edition with Tony OK. I'm Shane Locke, and a big thanks to our sponsors, SwampIndustries.com, your one-stop website for audio and musical equipment. If you're looking for podcast gear, through to speakers and cables for your music gear, make sure you check them out. Worldwide delivery, SwampIndustries.com. Let's continue our discussion with Tony OK on Soul Traveller Radio Show's Insider Edition. I want to have a, a bit of a chat about the the eighties. One of my favourite artists of that time, you you did a bit of work with, and that was Mark Hurd. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you and him started a record label, correct? Uh, we didn't start it. A guy named Tom Willett started it. Right. And uh, uh, his first two, and and what it was supposed to be, and what it was not just supposed mm. to be was. Tom was running a label for AM and Word, the, the gospel label in America, because they wanted to put out some stuff that could play in both marketplaces. They wanted mm. they wanted things by, you know, this was the era of U2 and their Christianity and everything. And yeah. and they decided they wanted artists who who were viable and 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 could work in both marketplaces mm. and initially uh we got into this tom had a meeting with me and t-bone and stephen souls mm. who had been in the alpha band with t-bone and also in dylan's rolling thunder um, and and was just sort of feeling around for would any of us be interested in doing this? And I sort of went, well, I like the sound of it, you know, mm. t- tell me more. And then my friend Carter, who had produced my La Bamba album for Capital, um, you know, the Tina Turner, he produced Tina Turner's Private Dancer album and, you know, did a bunch of stuff. He was at A&M by then. Right. And he started saying, you should really do this. This could be really cool, you know. And so we did it. And I I think I might have been the first signing. Um, But if I was, Mark was the second signing by a Mm. week or something, you know. Mm. So, yeah, and we, we got to know each other during that period and so he you well, put out impressed and uh, uh sorry you put out um uh romeo unchained and, and right which had impressed, had impressed on it, on it. which Charles sexton had already recorded yeah yeah there actually there's two songs on there that he recorded impressed and you don't belong here oh right and you don't belong yeah here, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. let's talk about impressed because we're gonna have we're gonna play that song um very shortly of course it became a massive hit for charlie sexton yeah, it was a big hit for Charlie, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there was some talk when I when I first. That's how I met Charlie was over that song. Like mm. his A and R guy, Michael Goldstone, who later signed Pearl Jam and you know d- you know did well. Yeah. 
he wanted that song and You Don't Belong Here. I guess my publishers had played them for him or something, and he wanted them for Charlie. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm going to record Impressed myself, you know. Yeah. They went, oh, please, come on. This kid's going to be huge, you know. Please, just meet him. Just meet him, you know. Wow. So we met up in L.A., and I really did like him. He was a good yeah. kid. He was 16 when I first met him. Wow. Didn't even have a driver's license. You know, I had to drop him off back at his hotel <laughs> after we had our introductory uh, dinner. Yeah. Um, yeah and, he he and actually it, came – he actually ended up in Australia as, um, uh, as Jimmy Barnes' guitarist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember for, for when he did some that. Time, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he did a Bowie tour down there with yeah. Bowie. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. yeah, incredible, incredible guitarist. Yeah. And he played down there on his own too. He yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. No, and that, look, his his career. I think. I mean, he's had a he's had a massive um, connection with Australia. Uh, I don't know what he's doing now, though. I don't know whether he's still he's releasing. Bob Dylan's guitar player. Really? Oh yeah, has wow. been for years. Yeah. Wow. Since nineteen ninety nine. He, uh, they would call, you know, uh, I, what I saw of this, cause I, I probably spent for the entire 1990s and up till maybe 2005, I probably spent two to four months a year in Austin at Charlie's house at mm -hmm. what he and his wife called the, uh, the Tonio suite <laughs> up on the third floor of their house. It was alternately called the Tonio suite or the weather tower. Cause <laughs> I was up there, always up there watching the weather channel. <laughs> um, every time Dylan would come through Austin, he would, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Kramer or somebody would, you know, the manager would call up and see if mm. Charlie wanted to come do the encore. You know, they'd call Charlie, mm. they'd call Jimmy Vaughn, the, you know, they'd call the locals. Mm. And then they started trying to get him to join the band. And he kept going, ah, you know, I'm trying to do my thing. I can't, you know, I can't, I can't. But finally they made him, and I don't know what the offer was, but they finally made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Well, let's have a listen to Impressed, and um, when we come back, we're going to uh, just continue our chat with uh, Tony O'K about, uh, uh, I guess, um, uh, his how he manages to uh, upset uh, people in the music industry with uh, with the songs that he writes. So uh, <laughs> we'll be back with more from uh, the Insider Edition very shortly.
Welcome back to the Insider Edition. I'm Shane Locke, chatting today with Tony OK. And uh, now, Tony, you you um, you've had a couple of songs that uh, I guess have have caused a bit of a, a commotion, a bit of a stir. Um, in the in the 80s, you put out an album called Notes from the Lost Civilization, and uh, um, the uh, the the over the, the the main record label refused to put one of the songs on there. Correct. What women want. Yeah, what women want. I thought you were going to say I'm supposed to have sex with you. Well, that was the next one, really, wasn't yeah. it? That, that was uh, that was sort of the follow-on from that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, silly people is all I can say. I mean, I'm supposed to have sex with you. That's that was. I don't know if you ever heard this this backstory to that. This no. this same guy Carter, my my producer friend who produced the La Bamba record of mine, um, he was music music supervising a Carl Reiner movie called Summer School, mm. and they needed to replace a Prince song that they couldn't license. I don't know if they couldn't afford it or Prince just wouldn't release it for use in this movie or what. 
And Carter called me up and said, hey, write, write a princish song for this movie. So I wrote, I'm supposed to have sex with you, which, you know, it had a uh, pretty cool guitar riff, I think. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I, I love the lyrics in that. It's like, I'm supposed to have sex with you. Let's have we'll the sex, sex now. <laughs> yeah. Sex is next. <laughs> it's like it's like it just put it into this whole perspective of let's get it over and done with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, I guess we better do this. <laughs> so, but anyway, that song wound up, I believe, it was on the soundtrack to Summer School. Yeah. And then the album that was jointly released by A&M and Word, Word didn't want that thing on their version of it in their marketplace. That was the problem. They went, no way, you know. And we went, come on, it's satire, you know. And they, they just went, no way. So it wasn't on Romeo Unchained. And then maybe on the A&M version it was. I actually don't remember. No, now. it was on. Uh, it was on Rodent Weekend. Oh, okay. That's where it wound yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Which I think was some? was sort of between Roden Weekend was sort of between Romeo Unchained and uh, well, Roden no, Weekend was all these things that never got released anywhere else. It yeah. was demos. It was whatever, and that didn't that only came out on Gadfly in the yeah. probably the the late twentieth century or early twenty first century. Mm, mm. Um, you want to hear a funny story where yeah. I'm, and I'm going to talk to her, the, the girl, Hannah, who, who was the singer in this band I was telling you about these songs that Larry Klein and I wrote. Yeah. Um, she lives in Slovenia now, American girl, but her husband was Slovenian and they moved back there. She has kind of a electronica band in Europe that she plays with. One of the things I have to talk to her about is, are you comfortable with us putting your version of I'm supposed to have sex with you on this record we're about to put out? Mm -hmm. Wow. Because Klein produced a very cool kind of, I don't even know what you would call it. You know, it's kind of electronic, but he also plays a lot of real instruments on it. And, you know, I mean... But with a woman singing that, it's an even darker twist to the whole thing. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how she feels about that tomorrow when I talk <laughs> to her. Because he wants to do it and I want to do it. We think it's funny, but, you know, we're not sur sure how she'll feel about it now yeah. that she has children and a family. And <laughs> so, so now you, I mean, the, the, that whole album, though, um, Notes from a, a Lost Civilization, uh, I think yeah. it really took the, the Romeo Unchained um, sort of sound and just brought it back into a bit of a more serious tone. Um, yeah. and you went, well, you know what, this, this is, this is where the world is at right now. You yeah. Know? You've got songs like children's crusade and, and, yeah. you know, city life. I mean, it was really representing the, the, the late eighties. Yeah. And, and just when you thought it couldn't get in any, any worse, here we are in uh, Trump's America. <laughs> <laughs> now, hang on. You promised that we wouldn't talk about politics. <laughs> okay. All right. We won't. No. <laughs> well, let's have a listen to uh, one of my favorite songs from the album, Without Love. And um, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up and uh, just have a little bit more of a chat about the, uh, the new album, Original Demos, uh, that you did with uh, Burt Bacharach. Okay. This is Without Love. You're listening 
to the Insider Edition, Shane Locke today chatting with Tony O'Kane. Back to the Insider Edition, Shane Locke chatting with Tony O'K about the uh, about his life, but also about the brand new album, uh, original demos. I say brand new album; it's actually only available um, on uh, on an, on an, a, a little uh, label in uh, in Spain, in uh, Barcelona, and in Madrid. Uh, in Madrid, sorry, and it's only there's only a thousand left. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the, the album. Uh, let's talk about your your um, work with Burt Bacharach. Okay, how did that come about? You know, I think 
Gosh, there's another sort of a Larry Klein connection to that. Klein was the music supervisor of an Alison Anders movie called uh, Grace of My Heart, which, come to think of it, this is funny, I never even thought of this, is kind of a Brian Wilson slash Carol King-ish story about a talented young woman songwriter who's married to a deeply troubled musical genius you know there were elements of of uh jerry goffin and even bigger visual elements of brian wilson because matt Dillon played the guy in it and he was definitely a surfer in a plaid shirt and you know all that anyway klein was the uh, music supervisor of this and among the songs that wound up in this soundtrack were two, a couple of things Klein and I wrote. One that the Williams brothers sang. I don't know if you know who they are. The uh, yeah, Andy and David Williams. They were the nephews of Andy Williams and right. really good singers and really cool guys, actually. Um, and then another of the songs on this album was Bert and Elvis Costello's "God Give Me Strength." Mm written for that album and i believe that that writing thing inspired bird and elvis to go on and do a whole album of stuff which yeah. became painted from memory so somehow you know maybe a year later or something i, I never met bert during that period when everybody was working on the 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 grace of my heart soundtrack mm. You know, maybe a year later, my publisher uh, uh, called up and said, hey, get together with Burt Bacharach. You know, he's mm. he's just finished this record with Elvis and, you know, that had come out and that was doing a thing. And, and uh, you know, he's sort of into writing with younger, you know, sort of guys from another musical world, basically. Yeah, yeah. Which he always has been. He's very hip, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we got met up and uh, hit it off and started writing. Wow. And the first thing we wrote, Chicago recorded. And, uh, you know, then we've had other other things. Yeah, which we're going to play shortly, actually. And that, uh, that was uh, If I Should Lose You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, the thing I was going to say, are you, you're you going to play the demo version, yeah? Yeah, you're yeah. Play, yeah play the version. demo version, yeah. Oh, I, I used to say, jokingly, uh, in the first 10 years of Bert and I working together, we've been working together since, I think, 1995. Um, so that's 22 years now. But for the first 10 years... I would say, yeah, you know, just as a joke to people, I'd say, yeah, I'm the only guy you'll ever meet who's written with both Burt Bacharach and Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. <laughs> and they go, wow, really? And I went, yeah, not together at the same time, but yeah. <laughs> and I said, I'm pretty sure that's good information because I don't think Elvis Costello ever wrote with Jonesy, you know? No, so, no, no. Yeah, so I think I'm the only guy that can say that. Since then... I am absolutely the only man walking the earth to have written songs with Burt Bacharach and Dr. Dre. I was going to say you've got a you've you've got this <laughs> <laughs> this track with Dr. Dre in it. I mean, that's yeah. just such a contrast. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that came about from another publisher of mine who called up one day and said, hey, you think Bert would be interested in working with Dre? Because this guy knew Dre. I didn't. And, and I went, <laughs> oh, there's an idea. And he, he said, yeah. He said, Dre's trying to finish his uh, chronic album, the second chronic album. And I, Steve Lindsay, this publisher of mine who's a good musician and producer, yeah. I suggested, ah, oh, you should get together with, you know, a great musician, someone like yeah. Burt Bacharach, you know, that can really put some musical structure to something just to yeah. see what that's about. And Dre went, oh, yeah, let's do that. Call him up. So. Okay. Well, we're going to uh, finish the show with If I Should Lose You. And this was the track that uh, was recorded um, by, uh, by Chicago as well. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today, Tonio. Okay, well, it's been uh, my pleasure. I'll, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk again and uh, see you down the road somewhere. If I should lose you, it wouldn't be the ending. I wouldn't lose my way. I'd be okay Life goes on There are no guarantees If I should lose you I would embrace my freedom Or find somebody else eventually I'd be strong I live with tragedy I don't ever want to face that day Never let love slip away And I'll do anything to keep us safe Keep us together Don't ever want to lose your love Still falling It seems like Everything's opposed to love Still we try Cause love is all there is I don't ever want to face that day Never letting love slip away And I don't ever want to I'll do what I can Don't ever want to lose your Cause no one ever been 
Love's what I'm after Love's all that matters So we don't ever wanna face that day We need a lesson away Cause without you nothing in this world would be the same Life would go on Feeling all wrong If I should ever Thanks for joining us on this week's special Soul Traveller radio show, Insider Edition with Tony O'Kay. If you'd like a copy of the limited edition original demos album with Bert Bacharach and Tony O'Kay, check out the link on our Facebook page forward slash Soul Traveller Radio. It is limited edition. There aren't very many left. You'll also find links to Tony O'Kay's older works as well. Remember, you are the music you listen to. I'm Shane Locke, and you've been listening to Soul Traveller Radio Show, Insider Edition. Insider Edition.